that usually takes you through the history of Marvel Comics one month at a time. My name is Brian Stratton. And mine is Rob Milne. Uh, This is a special Patreon-exclusive bonus episode, so if you are listening to this, hopefully you are a supporter of Marvel by the Month on Patreon. Uh, If you are not, you can soothe your guilty conscience uh, by heading over to patreon.com slash marvelbythemonth, slipping us a few bucks a month for fun stuff like this. Um, this is another one of our, uh, pre MCU movie nights. Um, and this time we're going to be talking about X2 X-Men United, the second movie in Fox's X-Men franchise. Uh, just to make sure that we do it justice, we have brought in an expert to help us out. He's the co-host of one of the best and longest running comics podcasts out there. Jay and Miles explain the X-Men. Miles Stokes, thanks once again for joining us on Marvel by the Month. Thank you both so much for having me. It is always a pleasure especially to talk about the confusingly named X2 X-Men United. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the uh, I if you search for X-Men 2, it will come up. Like Google has figured out that no one knows what this thing is actually called, <laughs> but yeah, other than that, uh, it does have the worst SEO of any superhero movie in history. Uh, so let, let's start out uh, by talking a little bit about our, our personal history with X2. Uh, where and when did we first see it? Um, and when was the last time we watched it? Rob? When did you I, see this? I saw this when it came out, um, opening night here in Portland. Um, my brother and I had been, we, we, we follow like movie sites. So whenever anything comic book related since the eighties was going to come out, we were in the know in the eighties. We didn't of course follow sites because that wasn't really a thing. <laughs> I, yeah, but I was going to say, I was going to call bullshit. We were, whole thing here. <laughs> we were reading magazines getting information through our comic shop. And uh, the point was we were beyond excited. We thought the first movie had been pretty stellar for, especially considering comic book movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, again, pre MCU, <laughs> um, this was, they'd done pretty well with X-Men and we were very excited to see this. We'd heard a few things about some of the plot points and characters. So, uh, so I was there opening night just jazzed to see it and i was not i wasn't disappointed i was um i i was uh i was pretty happy it it still it has its holes and we can get into that and (laughs) it has some issues but it was a it's a it's a fine film yeah yeah um and and when was the last time you had seen it prior to rewatching for this episode i think uh it's probably been 11 years or so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I watched it with Barb early on. Mm-hmm. She Barb does not suspend disbelief. Barb does not suffer a superhero movie. <laughs> and uh, yeah, <laughs> it, it has to be really well made 
I mean, she liked Thor Ragnarok. I had to bring her to watch that. But uh, uh, yeah, after maybe Iron Man 3 or Iron Man 2 and Man of Steel, we saw those pretty close to each other. And she was like, I'm done. No more <laughs> That's from, it. in the theater. Yeah, she was like, <laughs> you go on your own. You go with your friends. Uh, it's just too much of a roll of the dice. So yeah. this was one of the movies specifically she did not enjoy. Uh, she does not like Rogue, uh, uh, Paquin, I believe. Yeah, the, Paquin, yep. Mm-hmm. The actor. And uh, she doesn't, uh, there were some other problems. So uh, she does not, you know, she doesn't understand some of the the background. So why a very powerful mutant would just let themselves perish, mm-hmm. uh, for example. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, there's more to it, but I guess... You don't get to know that if you watch this movie. So we'll talk about that soon. And so that's why you <laughs> bought an X-Men pinball table. So in the hopes that she would just absorb the lore through osmosis. She has absorbed quite a bit of the lore. <laughs> and there's a lot. Uh, all This one is a, the specific pinball machine I have is based on the comics. So all of the quotes are from the comics as well. Um, so she really does get some of the lore and gets the team now and gets uh <laughs> she asks weird questions like wait why is bobby drake a kid here and i'm like well it's it's the movies are different they do things different they don't you know the continuity is different yep. um, it's just the multiverse it's fine yeah <laughs> yeah, so, yeah so then there's more disbelief to suspend and she's out yeah. But she she likes the pinball. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Miles? I I assume you must have seen this. Well, it was in the theaters when it first came out. I did indeed. Yeah. So I uh, I I also was quite pleased with the first X Men movie when it came out. I was uh, very surprised when it did that my comic, the comic that I personally loved, was going to get a movie. And yes, it was different in many ways, but it was X Men. And so knowing that they were going to make another, hearing that it was going to be based on God Loves Man Kills arguably one of the best X-Men stories, if not even potentially the best, and was going to have the same overall stellar casting. Overall, we'll probably get to that. <laughs> like, I, I I was jazzed, and yes, it blew me away. I loved X-Men 2. I, obviously, not a perfect movie, especially in retrospect. Our standards were much lower in those days. <laughs> yep. But uh, overall, yeah, I, I think it still holds up. Um, obviously, I rewatched it before we are talking about this here. My last time watching X2 was probably in a uh, an X-Men marathon that Jay and I did before we reviewed one of the latter-day X-Men movies. Might have been X-Men Apocalypse, might have been Days of Future Past, I don't remember. But we watched them all in a row. And uh, X-Men 2 actually, I think, held up as one of the best ones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, not perfect. There is not a perfect X-Men movie. I can't imagine there ever will be. <laughs> but it's just, uh, I mean, well, you know, we'll, we'll get to all of it. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Sure, but, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no. So it's it's always occupied a very positive place in my memory, almost universally so. Nice, mm-hmm. yeah. No, I, uh, I, I also saw it in the theater when it came out. So this came out in 03, uh, I believe. So I had just moved to the Portland area. Um, so I think this may have been one of the very first movies I saw uh, up here um, and thoroughly enjoyed it. I, I liked the first one. I thought this basically did everything the first one did better for the most part. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, the first one, the first time you see Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, you're like, well, that's Wolverine. Like mm-hmm. Wizard Magazine was wrong. Glenn Danzig should not have been Wolverine. <laughs> um, but... Uh, like, so you, you don't get that kind of review. Like, there's nothing in this movie that is sort of like, ah, there's my guy on the screen. But um, 
but yeah, it, it's like I thought everything came together. I think I thought it told a much bigger story and a a more complex story. Um, and it had, I I tried to recently watch the first X Men movie with my eight year old kid, and uh, it's slow. Like mm-hmm. it's a real slow movie. There's a lot of talking in it. Um, and I mean I'm sure for budget reasons, not a lot of action uh in the first half of it um so yeah he, he uh he bailed um <laughs> he bailed on it so he, la- he probably lasted longer than the roger corman fantastic four watch uh, which he bailed on <laughs> yeah, after five minutes yeah, yeah. Yep. wow i was there for that yeah yeah he's like this is bad he's like you're right son it is <laughs> but you don't understand back in the day bad was better than non-existent so we <laughs> yeah. went with bad yes exactly <laughs> oh man so um yeah, so so Miles, you alluded to this. Uh, X two draws from God Loves Man Kills uh, by Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson. There's also a little bit of Weapon X in there by mm-hmm. Barry Windsor Smith. Um, uh, Miles, in the improbable event that someone listening to this is unfamiliar with those two stories, uh, could you give us a, a brief recap or a summary of them? Okay, <laughs> elevator pitch for two of the greatest X-Men stories <laughs> ever told. I can do this, I'm a professional. <laughs> uh, so, God Loves Man Kills was a standalone graphic novel. It was not initially canonical. It was supposed to just, you know, be its own story that didn't have to do with canon. Of course, that changed, it always does. But basically, it involves uh, a Christian evangelist named William Stryker, who's stirring up anti-mutant sentiment based on a traumatic experience he himself had involving mutants, um, and is just sort of uh, describing mutants as being of the devil, as being anathema to God. And it's a really intense story about bigotry and standing up for your own humanity and the humanity of others in the face of oppression it's beautifully done uh-huh. and it's also just a badass x-men story yeah it really is. <laughs> uh, so yeah that was always one of my very very favorites weapon x is the story of wolverine's at the time complex now it of course is much more complex <laughs> background basically why this short furry guy has a metal skeleton and knives that come out of his hands Although, I guess later on they said that the knife had a different reason. It's a long story. (laughs) (laughs) But it is a really cool kind of science fiction horror story as we see these immoral, amoral scientists experimenting on this, this animalistic man with a heart of gold and just the ways they try to strip away what makes him human and turn him into a tool. Uh... And the Barry Windsor Smith art is some of my favorite comics art possibly ever. Yeah. So both incredibly worthwhile stories if anybody uh, who hasn't read them wants to track them down and wants a little bit more context for X2 X-Men United, which is admittedly loosely based off of them, but certainly (laughs) at least somewhat based off of them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a little bit of the DNA in there for sure. Yes, which is, you know, appropriate because every X-Men movie has to open (laughs) with a monologue about DNA. Exactly. (laughs) Here's how evolution works, kind of. Uh, uh, Rob, would you uh, let us know who made this movie and and who's in it? Well, we have our director, Brian Singer, who did the first X-Men movie as well. Uh, screenplay by Michael Doherty, Dan Harris, and David Hader. I just want to jump in and point out David Hader voices Solid Snake in the Metal Gear Solid video games, which blows <laughs> yes. my mind. <laughs> yes, he was uh, the guest on a not not too long ago episode of Jordan Jesse Go, telling insane stories about his adolescence uh, in Japan, uh, where his his dad was, I think, a, a businessman. Um, and, uh, he used to, when he was like 16 or 17 years old, drink at a Yakuza bar. Um, and, 
one point got in trouble for roundhouse kicking a door off of a toilet stall um and the yakuza like showed up at his house and like demanded five hundred dollars from his dad um (laughs) yeah don't vandalize the yakuza uh you know restroom at their bar yeah that's one lesson. Thank yeah. you so much for you, you. You said the words David Hater, and all of a sudden, all this came flooding back to me. It was like that's my my activation code or something. I like for me that was just like the last name on the list of people who worked on this. And <laughs> now I know a lot more. What a complex world in which yeah. we live. Yes. <laughs> um, the story was by Zach Penn, David Hater, and Brian Singer. So you know, close to the the team. Um, it was produced by Lauren Schuler Donner and Ralph Winter. And Lauren Schuler Donner uh, was the widow of Richard Donner, who directed uh, the good Superman movies. Yeah. 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 Um, and reprising their roles from the first X-Men movie are Sir Patrick Stewart as Professor Charles Xavier, Hugh Jackman as Wolverine, Sir Ian McKellen as Magneto, Halle Berry as Aurora, Tom K. Jansen as Jean Grey. Is that the right pronunciation it's as I close as you're gonna it. get yep um james marsden as cyclops and sonic's best friend <laughs> anna paquin uh who i mentioned at the top of this as rogue um rebecca Ro- romine stamos as mystique uh sean ashmore as iceman Yes. So, uh, and then making their franchise debut in X2 are Brian Cox as William Stryker, who uh, I believe he's in Super Troopers, right? He's the, uh, he is their like sergeant in, uh, is he yeah. yes. really? <laughs> is it so long? Like, I love Troopers? Super Troopers. I don't know why we watch it, you know, every <laughs> once in a while. Um, Alan, so he he's doing much more of a, a staid dramatic role here, but he can do comedy. <laughs> um, Alan Cumming as Nightcrawler, uh, Aaron Stanford as Pyro. Kelly Hu as Lady Deathstrike and Daniel Cudmore as Colossus. Um, yeah, there there was so much great casting here and so much work to to make these characters come to life. Yeah, I feel like that's how you know it's a real X Men movie when it takes that long to read the cast. Yeah, yes, it's like, there is not a few heroes here. <laughs> we- <laughs> it's an ensemble, yeah, like a big one. We got a lot of action figures to sell. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, uh, so, well, let's, let's jump into the plot. So, uh, the movie starts out with professor Xavier giving us a voiceover science lesson about mutation, um, which I think this one is more factually accurate than, uh, the first one. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, uh, you basically, uh, ends with, he poses the question, can mutants and humans share the world? Um, uh, because humanity doesn't have a great track record of sharing, (laughs) Um, so then, uh, smash cut, uh, to the white house, uh, and nightcrawler, uh, who is brainwashed, uh, sneaks in as part of a tour group and teleports his way through the secret service, making it to the oval office and attacking the president of the United States. He is shot just before he's able to stab the president and retreats, leaving his knife, which has a mutant freedom now banner on it, uh, which sort of feels like a hat on a hat. <laughs> like, I mean, if you have, if you're not able to figure it out that you were just attacked by a mutant, um, yeah, uh, you maybe need to hire some better uh, investigators. But anyway, um, this is a crazy scene. It's uh, oh man, putting this was one of the things my brother and I were so excited about uh, just seeing Nightcrawler come to life on the screen, and they this initial action version of him bamfing everywhere mm-hmm. uh and fighting people where he's like 
throwing them up in the air and then teleporting above them and hitting them down and throwing somebody like it it really nails the teleportation so well and uh and in such an exciting way like more than i had envisioned even reading the comics it, it was one of those moments where i felt like when sam raimi's spider-man swings down the street mm-hmm. yep. of manhattan where i'm like oh they they got this and they made it happen for real. Yeah. It is phenomenal. And one of the things I was pleasantly surprised watching it, the movie again before we were talking about it in this episode, that holds up. Like, that doesn't seem in any way cheesy or dated. It is just an incredibly well-directed action scene with yeah. incredibly good special effects. Yeah. 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 It, it, you can tell that there was a fair amount of the budget on the screen um, mm-hmm. for that bit there, for sure. Um uh, so the, the, the incident stirs up anti-mutant feelings around the country. Uh, people are demanding that mutants must register and support uh, support the Mutant Registration Act, um, which you can see from my T-shirt that I am in favor of. Um, <laughs> I'm in favor of mutant registration. Listeners, just take a look through the podcast, if you would. <laughs> <laughs> it's a visual medium. Um, I, I'm wearing a, a T-shirt with the, uh, if you're an older school uh, Marvel Comics reader, you may remember um, the it's 1987. Do you know what your children are? Ad that ran in uh, the books, um, and it had pictures of four kids, and one of them who looks a lot like my child has the word "muty" scrawled across <laughs> his face. Um, yep. So yeah, classic, classic bit. Um, oh, the other thing I was going to mention about this uh, the the scene up, up top here is that the whole threatening the president scene seems very quaint now. Um, I, yeah. I, I don't know if that thing will ever work on more than half of an audience ever again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cause I'm just going to have people rooting for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yup. Yeah. Uh, so let's see. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Logan, uh, is exploring an abandoned military installation at Alkali Lake in Alberta for clues to his past. So it did take place in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Alkali Lake. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he finds nothing except abandoned and decayed buildings near a dam. Um, so this is a plot thread carrying over for the first X-Men movie where Professor Xavier said, if you help me out, I will help you f- uh, figure out what you can't remember about your past. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that the movie doesn't spend too long recapping that fact. Like, X2 is surprisingly restrained as superhero movies go. Like, it expects that even if the audience hasn't seen the first movie, they'll be able to sort of pick up what's going on. Yeah. And I think it does a pretty good job of conveying that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's hard to know. I mean, for people like us who have spent much of our lives, you know, just swimming in this creative pool. But uh I, yeah, I think so too. I think it's, uh, I don't, and I think for those of us who have lived it, there's a lot of, we understand the gravity behind what is happening mm-hmm. and, uh, and it, it's done really well. So it's done with a nod to us and a nod to everyone who has no idea what's happening other than people fighting, I guess. Yeah. Threading that adamantium needle. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so then we uh, we see these students from Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters are visiting a museum. Uh, Jean Grey, uh, one of the teachers at the school, has been having premonitions and struggles to concentrate as her powers become increasingly difficult to control. Um, so I guess we can just mention this up front. This whole thing is kind of like leading to Jean unlocking the Phoenix powers, sort of. It's this movie's version of it. So um <laughs> if you contrast this to how it plays out in the comic in the comic uh you know she uh she gets the powers from you know basically putting her life on the line to uh save her loved ones and her uh her team 
uh, from burning up and re-entry. Um, and that's how she acquires it here. She just starts having bad dreams. Yeah. Um, so which real dramatic it underplays the sort of cosmic entity that is the Phoenix, but you know, that's it's in fact, it makes no sense in this movie. So that's mm-hmm. one place where they fall down. Yeah. Yeah. So much of this movie, I started to realize as I was watching it for the first time, it's clearly leading to the Phoenix saga. And so I was trying to put all those pieces together mm-hmm. and yet if you look at the X-Men franchise, every time the Phoenix comes up is inconsistent with every other time the Phoenix comes up. (laughs) It does not make sense, but I didn't know that at the time. I didn't know that X-Men 3 was going to be a train wreck and Dark Phoenix was going to be a differently flavored train wreck. (laughs) Years later, decades later. I just knew that this genuinely excellent superhero movie was starting to reference one of my other favorite X-Men comics. So without context, this was thrilling. Yes. Even if, yeah, her having a bunch of bad dreams not the most cosmic thing in the world but it didn't need to be we didn't need to have our comic book movies resemble the comics more than slightly that was fine sure sure (laughs) and and also the first movie had done a great job of getting the essence of it across so like you know it's like okay i understand you're going to handle this a little differently you've earned some faith here yes yeah yeah um so also in the museum uh rogue iceman and pyro are getting into a disagreement with some bullies in the museum uh, one of them seizes Pyro's Zippo lighter, um, and when he goes to light a cigarette with it, Pyro causes the flame to flare up. Iceman puts the fire out with his ability to produce freezing air. Uh, things are coming to a head. Uh, Professor Xavier shows up uh, and halts the conflict by freezing everyone except the mutants and tells Pyro to stop showing off. Uh, yes, Professor X's first appearance is characteristically <laughs> invasive and excessive and terrifying. At least he doesn't threaten to give anyone demerits the way he did the first time he had Wolverine <laughs> in the danger room in the comics. But no, I want to talk about this because we go from that incredibly impressive Nightcrawler fight where he just takes out the entire Secret Service yep. to Iceman and Pyro just casually using these magnificently powerful elemental abilities to Professor Xavier freezing in place an entire room of museum goers one of the things i like about the early x-men movies in general but this one in particular it really gets across like oh oh these mutants they're they're not just people with little tricks they are incredibly powerful like you can understand why humanity would be a little concerned yeah Yeah. absolutely i I think this this uh professor x uh is so close to early silver age Uh professor x uh i mean Early Silver Age Professor X would let things play out and then just wipe a thousand people's minds and walk off. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, still, it off, puts but... over. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> pull off. Sorry. Um, yeah, that was very ableist. But it's it's it is like he he is terrifying. Yeah, like you can understand why th- this really helps you understand why humans would fear mutants. Yeah. I think the first X Men movie is very much from the x-men perspective so it's like we're just everybody's down on us and they're scared of us and we're just people yeah uh this sort of flips it a little bit more to help you understand that fear and then it goes it dives into that Mm -hmm. idea and i feel like the first time i saw this it didn't really hit me of like how scary professor x kind of is until the the very last scene which we'll get to but um because i mean patrick stewart is playing him you know like Oh, it's my favorite Starfleet captain. Yeah. And like this, you know, guy who does like funny stuff on the internet with Ian McKellen. <laughs> um, you know, uh, but no, he, you're absolutely right. He's, he's Silver Age Professor X. Um, he is, he's the stern taskmaster. 
Um, so, uh, speaking of the school, uh, Logan returns to the school, um, uh, and, uh, Xavier starts tracking Nightcrawler using Cerebro. Um, and, uh, uh, Wolverine, uh, he sees that, uh, uh, Bobby and Rogue are developing a relationship and he, he starts to have what, what could have been like a real tender kind of like surrogate father, surrogate son kind of conversation with Bobby. Uh, about his budding relationship um but instead he he basically asks how they do it like <laughs> damn it logan like i understand that you were experimented on by a human scientist and then essentially re-raised by wolves but damn it logan <laughs> yeah yeah man i i do love the characterization there though because it sets up he basically he walks into the kitchen asks where the beer is uh there's then he's like i guess soda something bad for me but uh mm-hmm. And then gets warm stuff, makes holds it out to Bobby to like chill it, and uh, just everything about it is very Logan. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and I think everything in this movie is very Logan. Yeah. And it and that is the thing that we were most excited about is to see Wolverine be Wolverine. It felt like he was really underdone in the first movie mm-hmm. yeah and in yeah. this one i mean we'll get to this later but uh if you were worried that logan was sort of too tame too passive not violent enough this one's got you covered oh, yeah they, they fix that <laughs> yeah yeah uh so let's see uh, uh gene gray and storm head out they find nightcrawler um and uh, it becomes evident that he was coerced um into attacking uh the white house uh, because he has a, a scar similar to the one uh, that we saw in a previous scene on the back of Magneto's neck. Magneto is in this like plastic prison um, after the the events of the first movie, um, and uh, uh, Stryker has been putting drops on the back of his neck uh, in order to keep him tame and docile. Um, and Nightcrawler has the same scar, so you know starting to connect the dots here um, that uh, probably he's behind this as well. Um, so. Uh, this leads uh, Xavier and Cyclops to go and question the imprisoned Magneto about the attack. Um, first of all, I love the Magneto prison as a yeah. set. It's so good. Um, just like, you know, everything being plastic, uh, you, you see like the, the protocols that everyone's following and just like how, I mean, since we just came out of a year and a half of going through extremely mm. detailed protocols, um, like it really gets you into that headspace of, this is extraordinarily dangerous and we have to like be so buttoned up with this guy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's prison exponentially, you know, magnified. He, he, no metal of course can go into this room because he's Magneto. Yeah. And it, everyone is screened. Everyone's screened through this thing. He's in this clear floating plastic, you know, suspended plastic cell with, uh yeah with like airlock to yeah. get into it yes yeah, it's, it's like if hannibal lecter was a god yeah. yes <laughs> <laughs> oh that is terrifying but yes <laughs> perfect uh, oh and, and he's he's reading the once and future king because uh, of course he is yeah love this guy <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean there are a lot of reasons i love x2 but ian mckellen as magneto is, is just perfect he's yep. just straight up perfect yep. yeah absolutely uh, so uh, Magneto explains to Xavier that Stryker has been questioning him um, and, you know, indicates a bunch of bruising on his face. Um, he also mentions that uh, Stryker's son Jason was once a student at Xavier's school, um, which Xavier does not seem to be delighted at that memory. Um, 
And uh, to Professor Xavier's horror, Magneto confesses that he has told Stryker everything about the school. Um, and at that moment, gas is pumped into the prison chamber and both men pass out. Uh, and then outside, uh, Cyclops winds up uh, fighting the prison guards, um, but is defeated by Stryker's very powerful uh, lady ninja assistant, Deathstrike. Um, so that, uh, I remember when she first showed up in the movie, it's like, I know this is someone, I don't know who this is. And then when the claws came out, uh -huh. like, oh, I know who this is. <laughs> Interesting character to use for that. I mean, can we can we dive into a little comics continuity? Yeah. Sure, please yeah. do. So Lady Deathstrike is largely a Wolverine villain, but she's kind of more related to, I believe, a daredevil villain named Lord Darkwind. She's his daughter. He was partially responsible for making adamantium a thing, the same adamantium that went into Logan. And so I always appreciate that her motivation in the comics, the reason she got all cyborged up, uh, is that she wanted to steal his skeleton back for her dad. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I love I love the stories of any story of people trying to get the adamantium, which happens much later mm -hmm. in Old Man Logan and in the sort of the alternate universe where people just want... Oh, yeah. They want his corpse because that adamantium is so valuable. It's so valuable, <laughs> which always reminds me of an old Defender story where uh, Nighthawk, I think, um, makes an adamantium chair for the Hulk to sit on so he won't destroy it. <laughs> it's like, that, that, that's that got to be like 10 times the amount of adamantium that exists in the world yeah. in that chair. <laughs> what? How? Uh, but yeah, Deathstrike is an interesting choice, and it's also interesting that she, I don't think, has any lines at all in the movie does she i don't, I don't think believe so. she does yeah. yeah which certainly makes her in some ways imposing uh it also just feels i don't know and maybe this is just me in 2021 watching a movie not made in 2021 but it's like okay you have one asian actor and she's very pretty and very badass and has no agency and no dialogue and yeah. that that feels a little a little weird i'm not gonna lie yeah 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 that, that is the other I mean, we'll we'll get to this a little bit, but there is there are still some problems with Mystique mm -hmm. uh, that I I yeah. can barely watch. Like I find it so offensive what they decided to do with with that character in there, these movies. There's and, problems with all. I I would say just about every female character in the movie, as far as giving them interesting things to do. Mm -hmm. You know, like, mm -hmm. um, it is definitely a boys' club. Yeah, and and not to go too far on this tangent but we just recently covered the introduction of adamantium mm. uh which ultron stole to uh coat what's co coated in in adamantium mm -hmm. so the ultron version six so so many yeah. ultrons <laughs> so that, <laughs> just, ultrons. that just happened in 1969 mm -hmm. that they introduced this uh shield had a hold of it and they were testing it and i was like i cannot believe that adamantium has been around in the marvel universe this long and i'm so right. happy it has since yeah. way before wolverine yeah, yeah. well yeah. way before we knew about wolverine right anyway. yeah he's still out there somewhere yeah you know yeah. being <laughs> raised by wolves and taught how to make terrible conversation with your surrogate daughter's <laughs> new boyfriend exactly exactly uh okay so um all right so uh cyclops and xavier have been uh taken down by uh strikers uh, agents in Magneto's prison. We then cut to uh, Colonel William Stryker uh, making his his this is his big debut scene. Uh, he approaches the president uh, and receives approval to investigate Xavier's mansion 
for their ties to mutants in the wake of the recent attack. Um, so here we go. Uh, this is the other scene that just stands out in my head is uh, the invasion of the mansion by yeah. Stryker's yes. forces. This is incredible. Um, so they they come up on it in the dead of night. Um, they infiltrate uh, and and they're trying to do this quietly. And now I'm trying to remember like how things go exactly. Um, Wolverine figures out pretty quickly that something's up. He he's he hears uh, he hears them going through the hallways, um, and he just starts carving them up. It's real over the top. It gets to it gets to be like an action horror movie. It feels yeah. like Aliens Two only. The alien, you're rooting for the alien. Yeah. And the alien is Wolverine. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he's protecting these kids. Yeah. And, and he is just being the, this is the thing. Like, this is worth the price of admission mm-hmm. is just this scene. Yeah. And that's how you do it. That's how you have a good Wolverine action scene. Cause the guy's terrifying. He's, mm-hmm. he's a murderer. He's not necessarily a very good person, but when you give him villains to fight who yeah. are just reprehensible, like, oh, these are soldiers who are, like, shooting children while they're asleep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. with tranquilizer darts, admittedly, but for obviously nefarious purposes. Yeah. So you're like, yeah, Logan, you know what? I know you are horribly murdering all of these people. They're all clearly dead. Their families will mourn them, probably. <laughs> But they kind of had it coming. So I'm just going to root for your ultra violence and just be super excited about you impaling everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Now, if if Jim Shooter had been the producer of this movie, do you think he would have insisted that every one of those guys showed up later in the movie? (laughs) Just, you know, reassuring us that he didn't actually kill them. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Either that or, you know, you you see them just diving out of the mansion and parachutes deploying if you want to get a little more G.I. Joe. But yeah, no, that that whole Shooter thing, be like, don't worry, it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. We're going to make some Reavers out of these guys. Wolverine didn't kill them. Yeah. Uh, oh man, the uh, the retcons and plot lines that come from worrying about the children. Yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, it's it's sometimes it's hilarious, but this there there is like marked. There's not blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, he's obviously sticking his hand knives into everyone his giant in foot long deadly yeah. ways. Yep. But there's no blood. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think they I they think that's where they drew the line, either for ratings or to, you know, in talks with Marvel. Uh, but it was it's still very obvious and still very Wolverine. Yeah. 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 Uh, we also get some nice Colossus action here. Mm-hmm. Um, Colossus he, with no accent whatsoever. No yeah. accent whatsoever. <laughs> he he's, he's, sounds like a, a corn fed Midwest boy. Um, uh, he leads uh, the students who haven't been captured uh, to safety. Uh, well, Logan and Rogue and Iceman and Pyro uh, start making uh, their escape. Um, uh, there's also a scene there where uh, Logan confronts Stryker, um, who addresses him as Wolverine and seems to know about his past, but he can't get any more information about him because Bobby puts up an ice wall between them, which is a good move. Uh, his, you know, his heart was in the right place, but uh, it really it, it keeps Wolverine from finding out what he wanted to learn uh, about his past since he kind of hit a dead end earlier in the movie. I really like Iceman in this movie. I do too. It's a different take on the character, yeah. But like as much as he's briefly has like a a sort of pissing contest with Logan when they meet and clearly he's just a a dumbass young man bathed in the fires of toxic masculinity um, or maybe the ice of toxic. Anyway, (laughs) uh, but no, like when, when things get heavy, he just 
does the right thing. He acts maturely in a restrained fashion. He's really, really awesome to his girlfriend, Rogue, which yeah, I think mm-hmm. a lot of teenage boys who couldn't touch their girlfriends would be terrible about. Yeah. So it's a cool take. It's, um, you know, obviously the Bobby Drake we know, very different character. So, like, later on when mutancy is clearly a metaphor for homosexuality mm. and the character that's focused through is a character who is gay in the comics it's a little strange but again the movies are different that's fine and sean yeah. ashmore kicks ass in this role yeah and i think there's still some reflection of continuity because bobby doesn't really get to mm-hmm. his homosexuality till later you know he doesn't mm-hmm. uh in his life yeah so yeah uh this is sort of pre that but mixed over with different eras of characters and yep. all that you certainly had yeah. Iceman and rogue being very tight in the 90s in the mm-hmm. comics as well so that dynamic is somewhat there and shadow yep. cat and yeah um and yeah kitty pride there's just a little hint of her running through some walls here yep. yeah her, her frequent recasting yeah <laughs> and she's just somebody different every time and doesn't get lines or very you know small it's like appearances. like the yeah. kids from the national lampoon vacation movies yeah yeah <laughs> uh so yeah uh, so so logan rogue Iceman, pyro uh make their escape from the mansion they steal cyclops's car to do it um, and it turns out Cyclops drives a fancy Mazda, uh, which is the most Cyclops thing I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that that's sounds a right. solid product placement. Just, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, it's like a luxury performance Mazda. <laughs> um, oh, the other thing I want to mention is, so we, we get, this is like the, the second scene we get to see a lot of, uh, Brian Cox as, uh, William Stryker. He is so good in this movie. Yeah. He is. Yeah, let's let's talk a little bit about him. And not, yeah, yeah. not just his slight foghorn leghorn uh, accent. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so, you know, we were talking about God Loves a Man Kills earlier, where William Stryker's a very different character. Mm-hmm. But this is a movie that came out in, what was it, 2004? Uh, 03. Yep. 2003. Yeah. Okay, so with 9-11 yeah. in very close memory. And so the idea of a figure who can stir up hatred against minorities being a governmental military figure instead of a religious one like yeah that works you're not doing the letter of the story but you are doing the spirit of the story and i thought that was actually a brilliant transformation there yeah yeah i thought uh if you're going to connect different characters or plots um in the ways they do in the movies this was a great character to have uh to to one uh i i mean i like i like the the religious bent more because Mm -hmm. it's it's more appropriately a villain for people who are struggling for gay rights and lgbtq plus totally it's like but uh but but right then that's the moment you're right it makes it makes the most sense and people are giving so much of their freedoms away at that point Mm -hmm. um this is the kind of person who would abuse that. And from a plot standpoint, it's also much easier to tie a governmental or military official to Logan's weird experimenty backstory than it would be for like a preacher. Yeah. That would <laughs> really make much sense probably. Yeah. 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 And to get agency from the presidents, like it, it, it just, it really elegantly just, there's a, a nice through line there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, 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 he's so good in this role. Um, I felt like he stepped right out of, the pages of like a Claremont burn era X-Men book. Like, yeah, he's just, he's really swinging for the fences. Mm-hmm. Like he's playing it big. He's um, a, and he's, yeah, he is the villain and yeah. he is a great villain. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I think he, this movie has a couple of great villains in it. Um, and, and the fact that he, like, I consider him, uh, like worthy of mentioning in the same breath as Ian McKellen's Magneto mm-hmm. is like, I mean, that tells you that, 
that is like, they really cast well here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, f- <laughs> when I first saw this, I thought it was the guy who hosted Inside the Actors Studio. <laughs> it was like this James, is a very I can't remember. Yeah, his last name. I can't think of his last name, but um, it's like that's a wow. That's I mean that I didn't think you had it in you, and it turned <laughs> out he didn't. It was Brian Cox. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so let's see. Uh, then we see um, uh, Mystique. Uh, we we cut to Mystique. Uh, she is getting information about Magneto's prison uh, with her super stealthy, shape shifting, infiltration abilities, um, and uh, she starts uh, planning how she's going to help him escape, uh, while also discovering schematics for a second Cerebro. Uh, and yes, Rebecca remains Stamos's first big scene after probably six hours of sitting in body makeup chairs is basically do a bunch of office work yep yep, yep. <laughs> so you know I, I respect that so many movies would forget just the day-to-day uh necessary <laughs> activities of a supervillain. you know i mean it takes a while to make the coffee like the printer's <laughs> gonna jam yep. really of your day maybe five minutes is actual super villaining the rest of it is just you know it's the necessaries yeah, yeah. it's I mean, just it's just whatever it's the every person yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. we we are all mystique or well actually maybe come to think of it. Uh, but no this scene right here though this made me wish i could pause the big screen so hard because when she's going through the government computer files and it's just in the m's like the last names that start with m and there's Artie maddox jamie madrox yeah man and it's just i really appreciate that they didn't just randomly generate a bunch of names it's like no these are literally all x-men characters franklin richards the son of mr fantastic and a mutant has his own folder on the desktop which i appreciated because yeah there'd be a lot of files on that kid (laughs) but there's just so much continuity love that's put into this movie as much as it changes the continuity like clearly everyone has done their homework yeah yeah Yeah. some intern had a real fun day (laughs) pulling that list together oh i wish i could have been that intern (laughs) Uh, so then, uh, she heads to a dive bar, um, and she is, I was going to say in disguise as a beautiful woman, but she's not in disguise. Rebecca Romaine is a beautiful woman. Yeah. Uh, she, she is, she's not in her, she gets to have clothes and not the body makeup. Yep. So that's, that's a nice change for her. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and in she, these movies. <laughs> <laughs> and she, uh, suspiciously quickly seduces, uh, a schlub who we recognize as being one of the guards, uh, Magneto's prison. It's suspicious to everyone except this guy who like totally believes that, like, I mean, and God bless him for his self-confidence, but he really considers himself as like, yeah, this is the sort of woman who would instantly fall for a guy like me. Um, what's, the, what's the phrase? May I have the confidence of a mediocre white man? Like, <laughs> that yes. phrase is talking about that guy specifically. Yes. yes. Oh. Yep. This anybody else like, uh, and I have occasionally just very occasionally been hit on by somebody and gone. This is a trap. Like, uh, this can't be happening. Where's the cameras? This, is, yeah. <laughs> this guy's like, Nope, I'm pretty great. <laughs> yep. Uh, and he, uh, gets, uh, dragged into a toilet stall and, uh, injected with, what is this mercury or something? Some sort of liquid metal. I think just the bum iron. I, th- yeah. it's, uh, I was thinking comic book anium, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, some, something metal certainly. Yes. I thought she was just going to take his shape. Mm-hmm. and his whatever like badge or something yeah. i was like this is what how this is gonna go down no that it got weirder real fast and yeah. the way it goes is so is such comic book perfection it yeah. is just such like a, a wicked supervillain way of doing things yes. yeah. and that's one thing i like about magneto and mystique and their whole crew is 
the word I keep coming back to is wicked. They're like, no, we are going to do bad things because we don't give a shit yes. about humans. <laughs> we, we enjoy doing bad things to humans. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I, I can get that. Sure. <laughs> uh, and so this leads directly into Magneto's great escape scene. So uh, guard shows up the next day for work, looking a little worse for wear. Uh, he brings uh, Magneto's breakfast to him. Uh, and Magneto instantly notices there's something different about you. Uh, and he starts sucking out the metal particles, uh, that he was injected with the night before. Um, and it's, it's really grotesque. Like there's like this mist of a fine blood. red mist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I always love when a fine red mist appears in a movie. And, and yep. yeah, it's, to, and, and the guy just looks like he's in such shock and agony and then just falls over dead yeah yeah and that's magneto just who's slightly amused by the whole situation yep and he turns it into uh three yeah about like inch uh, diameter uh spheres and they start whipping around him uh and smashing through his prison um uh, one of them flattens out into like a jack kirby style stepping disc uh and he just it's just beautiful scene of him just like floating like a god uh across this vast empty space with these ball bearings just taking out the guards everything and everyone it is it's genuinely awe-inspiring yeah Yeah. and i love that they do that with magneto like obviously he's a villain an interesting villain but a villain but you just he's so impressive and mckellen just has the gravitas to make it work Yeah. yeah yeah yep yeah, so, uh, that's... so up to this point, the movie has been nothing but great scenes. Yeah, and great moments and great flawless. winks yeah. to everyone who loves comics and these characters, even though the continuity is what it is. Because, yep. again, we all go into these things. Uh, I think everyone who has read comics goes into any comic book movie with pretty low expectations. <laughs> so, um, I mean, Judge Dredd still... Still underdelivered, but um, <laughs> I had very the first Judge Dread, not yep. the Dread movie. Um, but uh, yeah, it's there's we don't expect much. Yeah, and when it goes well, it's it it is an unbelievable feeling to yeah, see, man. and especially after No Blood with Wolverine, seeing that mist come out of the guard with Magneto uh, was, um, you know, like high fiving moments with my brother. Not, <laughs> uh, more more so for the sort of horror and yeah, villainy yeah. of it than. You know, let the bad violence. Guy, let, let the bad guy yeah. be the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then, uh, after that scene, uh, we see that uh, Logan, uh, Logan, Rogue, Iceman, and Pyro have uh, stopped. They they uh, arrived at uh, Bobby's parents' house in Boston, um, uh, and uh, they're not home uh, when they first show up there. Um, but boy, are they surprised to find. Uh, Professor Logan uh, in their fridge <laughs> getting a beer out. Um, he finally gets his beer. Yep. And uh, so Bobby's like, hey, I got something to tell you. And he comes out to his parents that he's a mutant. Um, and this is, I mean, it has to be very deliberately and overtly. This is a queer coming out. Yeah. Like the overtones are there. The first movie played a little coy about all of that. This one, they just leaned right into it. His mom even says at one point, it's like, have you 
considered not being a mutant uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. so yeah and again i think it's it's very timely like this was the early 2000s yeah and not that you know the civil rights struggle is by any means over but i think at the time in terms of a minority struggling for rights that was the one very much in the center of public consciousness mm-hmm. yeah. yep um and so uh basically his bobby's little brother gets freaked out by the idea uh that his brother is a mutant he calls the you know strikers mutant crisis line um and a lot of cops show up mm-hmm. um and uh pyro makes a giant mess of things basically like long story short blows a lot of stuff up well logan does get shot in the head first so he yeah he, but it's just logan man He's yeah. fine. <laughs> he, they they want him to drop his knives and he's trying to explain drop the knives. Drop them. Yeah. He could just him. retract them. Come on, <laughs> Logan. I know the plot has to happen, but come on. In a very bad police way, they yep. shoot him right in the forehead. Yeah. And that, I mean, I think being Pyro, uh, and he doesn't get up f- for a bit. So, I, you know, Pyro is not exactly a good guy. We already have seen he has a little bit of a bad streak. Yep. So he Got a just chip on his shoulder. Yeah. He just starts throwing some fireballs and that's pretty impressive too. This yep. is where the special effects start to wane a bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah. 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 Yep. Um, and then uh, Storm Jean and Nightcrawler arrive in the X jet um, and they make their escape. Um, uh, but the X jet is attacked by fighter jets uh, while flying back to the mansion. Um, it's shot down. Uh, looks like they're going to crash you know, right into the ground. Uh, but at the last second, Magneto saves them, um, puts the jet back together, uh, and, you know, shows up, uh, you Another know, in big his glory. Godlike moment. Yeah. Yeah. There's this great, like, distant shot of him just reaching up, and there's this big freaking airplane just suspended, and it's clearly just effort- effortless to him. Yeah. Uh, and, and, I mean, of course, the X jet gets shot out of the sky because, I mean, that's. That's what it does. The whole reason it exists. Yes. It's and, like the shield uh, helicarrier. <laughs> Barb did watch the part, that part with me, uh, toward to the end, and seeing uh Rogue get sucked out of the uh hole in the jet, she's like, Oh, good, thank you. Uh and uh I, Barb is cold. Yeah. Oh man. I, okay, <laughs> listen, listen, I'm a rogue fan. Anna Paquin's a very different take on a rogue. She's a great take on rogue. I, I think it's fine. She just I don't know what it, okay. when Barb wants to hate something, she she goes all in. No, She's very passionate about it. Yeah. I, I, I can respect that. I respect passion. Yeah. Fair, fair. <laughs> uh, right, and then Nightcrawler saves Rogue. And actually, it occurs to me, we haven't really talked much about the take on Nightcrawler's portrayal in this movie. Yes, yeah. so he, he's, he's, and I believe this has kind of informed his later character in the comics. I, I feel like his, well, I'm talking to the guy who would know better than I would. Um, so, <laughs> I am Kurt Wagner, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember uh, Kurt's uh religion being such a prominent part of his character before this movie so it had been certainly a part of his character Uh like you know because the whole looking like a demon thing there's been a lot of guilt there um but yeah i think it was certainly emphasized a bit more i mean the run i don't know if it was right before or right after this but at one point 
long story, some bad guys try to make Kurt a fake pope and then blow some people up to make <laughs> the mutant pope look bad. It's a whole thing. But um, yes, certainly there was a lot of leaning into the angstier side of Kurt's faith mm-hmm. around that era in a way that had only seldom been done, except for like there was one 1990s backup story that I remember drew this beautiful scarf that had crosses that looked like X's. Anyway, it was a whole thing. Mm-hmm. But um, yes, I will. I would agree. Like Usually what you focus on with Nightcrawler is his swashbuckling nature right how he's just this this fun immensely good-hearted uh, person despite looking like a demon how he's logan's best friend and one of kitty's best friends and so it was weird to see him be this character largely defined by his faith and his feeling shitty about a lot of aspects of the world because of that faith although i guess come to think of it he does give storm a pep talk about you know how actually it's great being a mutant so there is that Mm -hmm. yeah so but yeah i think for me the part that sort of made me raise an eyebrow uh was when storm first sees his uh scarification that he's clearly put on himself he's put these angelic symbols upon himself implying that he was trying to like contain his demonic nature and that doesn't seem very nightcrawler at all no right yeah a lot of the character in that respect once he's talking is just not nightcrawler yeah it's uh i mean even at his darkest times um he's still the fuzzy elf exactly yeah he's he's not even fuzzy i know i do true yeah he should be like a a blue black velvet you know Mm -hmm. sort of Mm -hmm. texture is what anybody would imagine from everything that's ever been said about him. Like a nice felted yeah. appearance. That's yeah. actually yeah. Uh, canonical. There's an issue of Excalibur where a woman who apparently was based on a prominent British psychic I'd never heard of uh, in the 80s. Anyway, she uh, asked to, t- to touch Nightcrawler's fur and she does comment, ooh, like blue velvet. <laughs> but not like the movie by David Lynch that was really <laughs> disturbing. <laughs> I assume. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so it... it it is a very it's a different nightcrawler. I do like this nightcrawler. Oh, yeah. I think the 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 forced kind of religious polemic aspect like it wears a little thin as the movie goes on for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um but uh at the same time, you know, I, I thought they they did enough right with him. Um it leads to him making good and interesting decisions as a character so yes. um yeah so i like all of that and it's also interesting to have nightcrawler's religion be prominent in a story based somewhat on god loves man kills yes that removes the religion of god loves man kills yes <laughs> good point because yep. you know his his faith actually does come up in that story i think more than it really had before at that point mm-hmm. in, in canon so yeah i don't know just some interesting overlaps here like clearly it's in dialogue with the comics it's based on even in the ways that it is not based on them yep yeah <laughs> That is a very good way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, okay, where are we here? Uh, oh, so Magneto just uh, rescued the X-Plane. Um, he explains to the X-Men that Stryker has built a second Cerebro uh, uh, to use it and Xavier to telepathically kill every mutant on the planet. Uh, and uh, Stryker's son, Jason, is a mutant with mind-controlling powers uh, who Stryker will use to force Xavier to do this. So there's the grand supervillain plan. Um, uh, Stryker had also previously used Jason's powers to orchestrate Nightcrawler's attack as a pretense to gain approval to invade Xavier's mansion. So suspicion confirmed there. Um, and then if you don't have enough reasons to go after Stryker at this point, uh, Magneto also tells Wolverine that Stryker was the man who grafted his adamantium skeleton onto his bones and is responsible for his amnesia. Um, so Gene reads Nightcrawler's mind, determines that Stryker's base is underground in a dam at... 
Alkali Lake. Hey, hey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now they got uh, they got all the motive in the world to go there. They know where they're going. So that's where they head to. Um, so it, it's a little bit of an exposition dump, but it gets us where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And, it, and it does again touch that moment of uh striker his striker hates that his son is a mutant yeah um, he and and i and xavier feels like he failed yeah striker's son and uh and also this this is where i was like is that supposed to be legion when he first shows up that was it my thought like, back yeah. then yeah mm-hmm. the only thought i have i mean the character's named Jason and he has illusion powers. So I assume that if it's referencing anybody, it's referencing masterminds, but sure. only very loosely. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. So he, 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 yeah, he, he feels like an aggregate character if he's anything. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so let's see, we, we, we head to Alkali Lake, um, uh, and, uh, Mystique infiltrates Stryker's base disguised as Logan. Um, she lets the rest of the mutants in and Magneto and Mystique go to disable Cerebro before the brainwashed Xavier can activate it. Um, and, uh, Magneto rolls in, uh, and another <laughs> just absolutely horrifying supervillain scene. He just, uh, before we even see him, um, we just see the strikers, uh, soldiers, uh, the, their gear starts shaking on their vests and the pins on their grenades start being pulled out and they just start panicking and then they start exploding. <laughs> uh, yep. There is a very high body count in this movie. Yeah, yeah there is. Yeah. And I, and they're exploding like their flashbangs, like, which I think was somebody had to say, like, <laughs> we can't, it, we don't have the budget to <laughs> <Gym> shoot <explode shooter. laughs> this many people. Yeah. Oh um, man. The, yeah. the intestine uh, cost alone. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. That, that should have been like, dead alive or something (laughs) blood everywhere yep but they but they do make the explosions like they're flashbangs so i'm like okay well they 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 made it seem legit but not with intestines everywhere so yeah yeah. so clearly not very good for those soldiers yeah Yeah. (laughs) could be worse could be worse (laughs) uh so let's see storm and nightcrawler rescue the captured students uh and gene fights a mind-controlled cyclops in a pretty good battle uh, their battle frees Cyclops, uh, but damages the dam, which begins to rupture. So nice job, Cyclops. Cyclops, <laughs> in the first two movies, he doesn't get a lot of cool stuff to do either. And I, I'm a Cyclops guy. Oh, yeah, me too. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, again, he, he makes up for it later when he gets to be Sonic's best friend for an entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> he was a good Corny Collins in the remake of Hairspray. I'll give yep. him that. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, gets to be the guy who Liz Lemon winds up with, I think. So Yeah. yeah. And Westworld. Oh, Don't right. forget Westworld. Yeah. It's a yeah. good part of uh, Superman Returns, a controversial movie that I will overall go to bat for. I will as well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so, so we've covered Mars. Then there you go. James <laughs> Marsden. Marsden. So, well done. Yeah, unfortunately, the first two X Men movies don't treat him great, and the third one sure does. Oh boy, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's unfortunate because honestly, like he's pretty decently cast for Cyclops. He's a yeah. decent Cyclops. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. Yep, nothing wrong. Nothing wrong with his performance. It it is a script issue. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I mean, they want to make Wolverine cool. Yeah. So they play up the love triangle with logan and scott and gene that i never liked and thus cyclops isn't the one selling the action figures so he looks like a chump yep yep (laughs) also i don't know that you could have fit another alpha male into this story so (laughs) yeah that's true that's true 
Uh, Logan finds uh, Stryker in an adamantium smelting lab. Uh, he remembers it as where he received his adamantium skeleton. Received his adamantium skeleton. I'm just yeah. gonna, yeah, that's my <laughs> euphemism over that. <laughs> uh, and forcibly received. Yeah. Yes, uh, and and uh, of course, uh, Lady Deathstrike is there. Uh, Logan uh, fights in a real savage back and forth, like brutal battle it's a pretty sweet fight scene the fight yeah. choreography is good and it's clear which i appreciate like you, mm-hmm. you can actually follow what's going on which in a lot of movies you can't yeah yeah, yeah. and it, we realized that yuriko has a healing factor like i don't think yes. that was evident in other fights but she gets slashed yeah and it heals in and we can see that so now you know that they're really evenly matched yeah mm-hmm. uh, yeah but she doesn't have the power to resist a spigot of adamantium getting jammed into her, and <laughs> no, then nobody does filled up, <laughs> filled up like a adamantium balloon. I don't know what. Yeah, it, what, and it, then what would that sunk be? into the the very chamber that uh, Wolverine and I assume her as well yeah. uh, received the adamantium. But so even if she can survive it, she's in this this horrible like. You know, she's going to drown constantly as the metal in her body is holding her in this tank. Yeah. It's not great. It's not great. It's horrific. It's the shot that really gets me is after she uh, is filled up with adamantium, it starts just bleeding out of her eyes like tears. Eyes, nose, and mouth. mouth. Yeah. Yeah, Just, and you realize that it's hardening as it goes and like, (laughs) and when she drifts to the bottom she sinks to the bottom of the tank and makes a little clunk sound when she <laughs> right yeah it's like oh god yeah it's, it's a good i'm not scene. saying she deserved a good end but she deserved better than that yeah well, especially because striker was clearly mind controlling yeah, her. yeah like she starts to come up with uh, come up from the mind control at one point and he yeah. re puts his anti-mutant juice on the back yeah. of her yeah. neck and so yeah probably like maybe she's a really good person i don't know maybe she like reads to disabled children on the weekends or something we don't know yeah Yeah. we have no context for her other than she's being controlled so it does seem weird it it, you know it was gratifying to see the ultra violence of wolverine at the school with Mm -hmm. the soldiers but this didn't this didn't sit well with me either i'm like we have no reason i mean i know more about her character from the comics sure but Mm -hmm. which is is less redeemable but we don't know that and Uh you know as a movie watcher the people who don't know yeah backstory yeah uh, so, uh, after Logan dispatches, uh, Eureka, um, he chases Stryker to a helicopter pad, uh, sticks him, uh, with his claws, uh, and then chains him to the helicopter's wheel. Um, just basically says, don't go anywhere. Magneto, uh, we cut back to him. Um, he, uh, gets into the chamber where the second Cerebro, uh, is hanging out. He has Mystique impersonate Stryker, um, and sh- he, she, as he commands Jason uh, to redirect, to command Xavier. Boy, this is complicated. Yeah. X-Men. <laughs> yeah. So basically they play a game of telephone. Magneto, through a couple of intermediaries, uh, has Xavier redirect his powers uh, to normal humans and start taking it. Because I guess we skipped the part where Cerebro was killing all the mutants. Um, yes. Magneto stops that. And then we get to, uh, and he's like, I'm going to rearrange a few panels in here with my magnetic powers. Now I'm going to have Xavier kill all the humans. That did seem, that was the, another piece where I'm like, we, you're glossing over. I don't know that Magneto is going to intuit to engineer this, to flip Cerebro to be a, a human killing machine. 
while he's just floating here. But, it, you know, it, we we got to wrap this thing up somehow. I mean, so, he, yeah. he does mention that he helped design Cerebro, but I, I don't know. I, what gets me is, like, that apparently the programming language for Cerebro is what order the panels on the wall are in. <laughs> and so, yeah, it looks super majestic to see them all moving around as Ian McKellen just emotes at them. Right. But, like, wait, what? Like, is that, is, that's not, is that, is that Pearl? Is that Lisp? Is that Pascal? What's, what's happening here? Where, and obviously, as we saw earlier in this movie, what the true X-Men fans really want to see is the villain typing. <laughs> so, right. come on. It was good enough for Mystique. How come it's not good enough for Sir Ian McKellen? Oh, God. Uh, so, okay. Um, so now it's the normal humans uh, that are getting targeted by uh, Xavier's massive brain amplified by Cerebro. Um, and uh, Xavier and uh, Mystique make their escape uh, in Stryker's helicopter. Um, and he's not having a great time. Uh, first, he first got stabbed, then he got chained to the helicopter. Now he's having his brain destroyed um, mm-hmm. by Xavier's powerful mutant brain. Um, and, uh, they, uh, extend the offer to Pyro to come with them. Uh, he's been swayed to Magneto's views, uh, Magneto's views. Um, uh, Magneto earlier in the scene asked him, what's your name? And he says, John. And he says, what's your real name, John? Mm-hmm. So that's solid. Mm-hmm. And, and that I do appreciate that through the long, long X-Men movie series, like that bit gets called back to again and again and again. I'm reminded of, young Magneto and young Mystique in the later movies. There's a very similar scene, like mm-hmm. show me your true self. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, so any, uh, the uh, X-Men save humanity by uh, Nightcrawler teleports storm inside the Cerebro chamber, which is a big deal. Cause Nightcrawler says that he never teleports anywhere. He can't see because he might wind up in the middle of something solid and kill himself. Uh, but he takes a literal leap of faith um, at storms encouraging um, she creates a snowstorm to break Jason's concentration and free Xavier from his control. Okay, humanity's taken care of. Uh, but hey, remember Chekhov's dam, um, which was showing <laughs> yeah. cracks uh, earlier? Well, uh, it is starting to fall apart. Um, and uh, the whole, uh, what was just an empty lake basin, is now starting to flood. Um, and uh, it drowns Stryker. Um, and uh, the X Men run to the X Jet. Um, they are trying to take off, but the X-Jet loses all power. Uh, it struggles to take flight as the flood water rushes toward them. Um, so here's the big sacrifice scene that makes a ton of sense. Um, uh, Gene, uh, Jean Grey sneaks off of the jet, telepathically wishes the team goodbye. She holds back the water and raises the jet above it as flames erupt from her body until she lets go and allows the flood to crash down upon her, presumably killing her. Yeah. So this is where, again, Barb, who had no real context for that, says there's no way someone that powerful would just she there's a million ways she could have not been engulfed by the water. Mm -hmm. Right. And obviously, like we already know this. So with just the information, you know, from the movies, that wouldn't happen. So she was very disappointed in that and that it wasn't explained in any way. And I, I told her a little bit to try to, you know, calm her down mm-hmm. uh, just last night when we were watching this. Yeah. And, uh, and she was like, oh, I remember why I hate this movie so much. <laughs> and, <yeah. laughs> and it was that scene. She's like, I just there's it's so dumb. Like yeah. to get all the way to through this movie with so many great scenes and then have that happen. 
um seemed bad and yeah. i feel like there are i mean okay if if the plot requires gene to die so that you can later do the dark phoenix saga uh, badly as it turns out yeah. like okay the plot requires that but yeah it's just i mean i think one of the characters even asks why did she leave the plane and someone responds because she made her choice her choice to do what to die pointlessly <laughs> right. yeah like, I don't even know how you would do it. I mean, maybe you just make it very clear that she has to actually be physically between the plane and the water or else she can't deal with both at the same time. That's right, the most right. plausible thing I could come up with, <laughs> yeah. which isn't very plausible. Right. But, like, yeah, like, Jean is clearly so ridiculously powerful, especially with these increasing flaming flares of, of, of her ability and then to go out like that, yeah, it's uh, it's unfortunate. Yeah, I could see if like the next year mm-hmm. they they follow up like like reading the comics, Jean dies. You you're uh, that's what you expect to be the end, and uh, and it takes a little while for there to be an explanation, mm-hmm. uh, or for them to decide to resurrect, Jean, <laughs> but uh, and then make it all work plot wise. So. You know, I, I can understand it being like a frustrating, weird death, but this was not the correct way to, to kill a character. Like right. That. Yeah. Not I, not that it had to be canon or continuity wise. It just needed to be better. No, if, yeah. I mean, if you're planning to build your next movie around her character, you have to give her something interesting to do in this movie to make that sacrifice hit. Yeah. And then, you know, because otherwise what she just shows up in the next movie. Like, why? Why do we care about this character who? did almost nothing in the first mm-hmm. two movies, you know, and it, it is now, I mean, it, like what her, her biggest role in the first two X-Men movies is she's the girl that Cyclops and Wolverine are like having a pissing contest over. Yep. Yep. Like, exactly. That's it. You know? Well, and I think that's, uh, I mean, this is less X2 and more the franchise in general, but that's the mistake the franchise made twice. They did the dark Phoenix saga each time without doing the Phoenix saga, without yeah. building up who Jean Grey is as yep. a character, what her relationship with the people around her is, and not just her being like an object to be sought after. Yeah. And that's a shame because Femke Johnson, like, She's a perfectly good actress. She's I think, wonderful. I yeah. think she could yeah. have handled that really well had she just been given more to work with. Yep. 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 Agreed. Um, so uh last scene, uh, we go back to the Oval Office, come in full circle. Uh the president is about to give a, a blood and thunder speech to the nation about how we cannot abide this mutant terrorism. Um, and the power goes out. And Everyone in the room Everyone freezes. Everyone gets paused. <laughs> so again, calling back to what Xavier did at the very beginning of the movie uh, in the museum. Um, and uh, a crack of lightning uh, and the X-Men are all standing there in front of him. Uh, they give him uh, Stryker's files. They tell him he was behind everything. Um, uh, Xavier warns the president that humans and mutants must work together to build peace. Um, and then... Uh, the lights come back up, the X-Men have vanished, and we are left hanging to see what the president is going to say now. Um, uh, because I believe, as far as everyone knows, he's just, like, the cameras are rolling, he's addressing the nation, um, and the president has just gone silent, um, which is not a great look. <laughs> uh, and then uh, back at the school, Xavier, Cyclops, and Logan remember Gene. Xavier begins to hold a class, and the very last scene we get um, is that a, a phoenix-like shape starts to rise from the flooded alkali lake? Uh, so there you go. Um, that's X two uh, ended on maybe not the best note, but I think overall, um, I 
I thought this movie held up really well. I think this is like 80% of a very good superhero movie. Agreed. Yeah. 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 I mean, if you're going to pick an X-Men movie that does it best, I don't know that I would pick this one, but I think it would absolutely be in the running. Yeah. Like this is top tier Fox X-Men franchise. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Out of curiosity, what do you think you would? Put? This was my question. Yeah, I was gonna yeah. say, what do, what do you think is on this level or or higher than? Oh, that is a fine question. Okay, well, you have some movies like say Logan that are very very good, but that are just so different that I don't think you can really compare them. Mm-hmm. Or in its own way, I reluctantly say, as a longtime Deadpool skeptic, Deadpool would count as well. <laughs> but for me, I think the two best actual X Men movies are probably X Two and Days of Future Past. Those yeah. are the two that feel most like X Men to me. Mm-hmm. I, I love Days of Future Past. I think it's it's just a really good articulation. It's also, I think that is absolutely my favorite X-Men story too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, I wanted more more of that story to be in the movie, mm-hmm. more of the future. Sure. Actually uh, have Kitty be a bigger deal yeah. instead of just another Wolverine movie. So there yeah. I there were some disappointments for me, but I'd also that's because I had the, you know, I was able to go in with higher expectations. Sure. I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I agree. It is. Um, I mean, I even like, I know it's pretty panned, but the, the first class, um, no, uh, first class mm-hmm. was a yeah. fun movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it, get, just doing the, the past X-Men so that that's fine. And then that sets us up to have this days of future past. So it, yep. it works out very well, but, uh, yeah, this, this is, um, I, I was so surprised the first half of this movie. I was like, why did I, why did I not think this movie was super great? Like it seems perfect. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, then it wobbles and then it wobbles yep. some more. Yeah. Yep. Right yeah. at the last minute. Yeah. 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 It just doesn't stick the landing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but you know, hey, uh, you can't win them all. Um, and I'm really interested to see how this winds up getting rolled into the MCU and what they what do they. Does this wind up becoming alternate universe canon or what? Um, it'll be interesting. Um, we'll find out in probably what three years. So three to ten, yeah, somewhere in there, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere in, in there. there. Well, uh, Miles, thank you so much for joining us uh, for this episode. It's always a delight to have you here. Um, what uh, what can we plug for you uh, before we let you go? Well, if people haven't heard enough about X-Men yet, then they could listen to the podcast I do with Jay Edidin, that being Jay and Miles Explain the X-Men, which is where we go through all of X-Men, mostly the comics, but occasionally movies as well, pretty much from the start. I think we've covered about uh, 32 years of X-Men continuity already, wow. and we have, a, we have a fair bit to go, so plenty <laughs> of bang for your non-existent buck. <laughs> or, you know, your buck if you'd like to contribute. That, that's fine, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, explainthexmen.com if that sounds appealing. Nice. Uh, I would also like to throw in uh, a plug for your co-host's story in the Marvel Snapshots hardcover that just yes. came out. Um, I just picked that up and I just read it. And uh, Jay's story is by far my favorite story in the book. Um, I thought he did an awesome job uh, telling a great Cyclops story and also uh, living up to uh, really the... Uh, sort of the the spirit of what marvels was uh like i really think uh i think he understood the assignment um yes. and delivered in a big way yeah no i realize i'm uh intensely biased but that was my favorite single issue of the year it came out and maybe the years surrounding that as well yeah. but so far uh freaking phenomenal highly recommended also yes wow. absolutely. and i i need to read this now yes you immediately. do immediately yeah, yeah. 
Uh, it's I think it's got to be on unlimited by now. So yeah. Great. Um, well, yeah, and everyone listening, thank you so much for your support of the show on Patreon. Uh, tell your friends to do that, too. Uh, Patreon.com slash Marvel by the Month is where they can do that. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Marvel by the Month. Uh, check out our other social channels in our shop on MarvelbyTheMonth.com. And hey, thank you so much for listening. My name is Brian Stratton. Mine is Rob Milne. And stay inside and read comics. Yeah.